The sermon you are about to hear was given at Pillar Bible Fellowship in Hood River, Oregon. Pillar Bible Fellowship exists to glorify God by knowing Christ more fully and making Christ more fully known. Email any comments or questions about the sermon to feedback at pillarhoodriver.org. You can find more information about Pillar Bible Fellowship online at www.pillarhoodriver.org. Please enjoy the podcast. Father, now as we open your word and as we give attention to it, we are grateful for the gift of your holy word. And as we spend time this morning in examining this passage before us, Lord God, I pray that you would engage our minds, that you would sharpen our thinking, that you would help us to be free from distraction, to be able to give our focus and our attention to you, not so that we can grow greater in intellect, but Lord God, that we can grow greater in our appreciation of what you have done, that we would increase and expand in our praise to you. Holy Spirit, come, take your word, take my words that I speak, and use this time in a powerful way for your glory. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat if you would. The book of Ephesians. As I've been considering Ephesians, and as I've been considering this passage that's before us, verses 3 through 14, I started thinking about cheesecake. I like cheesecake. I like cheesecake so much that I have not had a regular birthday cake, and I don't know how long. It's cheesecake instead of a regular birthday cake. Now, with cheesecake, the richer and the more decadent, the better. So I like cheesecake that you can only take a really small piece of. I like cheesecake that you have to have a strong cup of black coffee to drink along with that piece of cheesecake just to get through that piece of cheesecake because it is, it is so rich, it is so decadent, just small bits of it are, oh, so satisfying. Do you know what I'm talking about? Maybe cheesecake isn't your thing, but maybe there's something else that you can appreciate, and you say, it is so good, I, I, just, I, I need to take it in in small bits, That's Ephesians. See, I was going somewhere with this. That's Ephesians. Ephesians is so rich. And this passage that's before us this morning, verses 3 through 14, is so decadent. We need to take small bites. We need to slice it thin. And we're going to do that. Over the next five weeks, we're going to work through verses 3 through 14. Last week, Seth took us through the first two verses of Ephesians, and this week, we're going to take the next two verses, verses three and four. The week after, we're going to take two more verses, verses five and six. The week after that, we're going to take four verses, seven through 10, and then we're going to look at 11 and 12, and finally, 
13 and 14. And as we work through this passage, the reason we're taking this passage in particular at such a slow pace is because it is so packed full of rich teaching, so decadent of doctrine. Verse 3 really serves as, as a heading for this paragraph. I say paragraph, but I also want you to understand in Greek, when Paul wrote this, verses 3 through 14 were one sentence. So it really is one thought, one idea that all flows together, but we're going to take it in parts. What this is calling us to do is to bring praise to God and to recognize the many blessings that he has worked in our life. Verses 3 through 14. To bring praise to God and recognize the many blessings that he has brought in our life. In verses 4 through 14, Paul draws attention to five of these blessings in particular. In verse 4... We're just going to skim through this passage real quickly, all right? If you think of this morning kind of like a funnel, we're going to start way out here, and then we're going to narrow down and look at verse 4. But we're going to look at this entire passage. Verse 4, we see that God chose us for holiness and blamelessness. So that's our focus this morning that we bring praise to God because he chose us for holiness. Next week, verses five and six, we bring praise to God because he predestined us for adoption. The week after, verses seven through 10, we bring praise to God because he redeemed us through Christ. And so we're gonna spend time narrowing in on the redemption of Christ and the redemption through Christ and how we should be praising God for it. In verses 11 and 12, that'll be the week following, we give praise to God because he has given us an inheritance And then lastly, verses 13 and 14, we give praise to God because he has put his mark upon us. He has sealed us with the Holy Spirit. This passage, verses 3 through 14, it is wonderfully Trinitarian. If you want to understand the work of the Trinity better, spend time in Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 14. We see the work of the Father. God the Father has chosen us. He has adopted us into his family as a father. Verses 7 through 12 really bring attention to God the Son in redeeming us and in giving us an inheritance along with him. And then in verses 13 through 14, we have God the Holy Spirit who seals us and guarantees for us our inheritance. We see all three members of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And we see in this passage as well that as God is working, he is doing all things according to his purpose.
purpose and his will. And that's a phrase that's repeated throughout this sentence, throughout this paragraph, according to his will, according to the purpose of his will, according to his purpose, according to the purpose of him who works all things, according to the counsel of his will. Why has God been so Benevolent? Why has God been so kind, so generous, so gracious and giving? Because he determined to be so. It's his will. It's his purpose he is carrying out. And also, in all of this, we see the chief end, the aim, is the glory of God. I so appreciate Jason leading us in that first song this morning to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glorious grace and singing that repeatedly. That's why we exist and that's why God has worked things in the way that he has. That is his counsel, that is his purpose, that is his will that he would be glorified. And we see that repeated in this paragraph. To the praise of his glorious grace. To the praise of his glory. And the very end, the last thing, to the praise of his glory. This is our reason for existence I was talking with Jason earlier about purpose. Jason was saying, I have a purpose and, and wanting to share that more, which is great. And we all have purpose. God has given us purpose. We exist. Ultimately, there is no higher aim. There is no greater goal that we can shoot for than to say, I'm going to bring glory to God. I'm going to do all things to the praise of his glory. And that is why God is working all of these things, that he would be glorified. There's nothing higher that we could aim for. That's the reason we exist. That's the mission statement of every church, or it should be. That's our mission statement. We exist to glorify God by knowing Christ more fully and by making Christ more fully known. So as we grow in our understanding of him, are transformed in living for him, in proclaiming him all things to the praise of God's glory, that he would be glorified. All right, so we're working our way in on this funnel. We've started way out here. We've looked at all of verses three through 14. And what you know is we're going to go really slowly. We're going to cover a lot of deep doctrines, but it's going to be really great. We're going to enjoy this time. We're not going to go through the whole book of Ephesians, two verses at a time, where our babies are graduating high school by the time we get to the end of this book. But here in particular, we're going to take our time. And we're going to look at these wonderful doctrines that show us God's will and purpose and lift us up to bring glory to him. Now, we see this right in the beginning. Verse 3, as I said, is kind of the heading for this entire paragraph. And it says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the first part of it. Blessed be 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So as Paul now is starting this letter to the Ephesians, where does he start? What's the first thing that he wants to say to them? Blessed be God. Praise be to God. This word blessed, we get our English word eulogy from the Greek word behind this word blessed. To extol or to give praise, to speak well of. And it's used here in a way exclusive of God. He alone is worthy of this praise and honor. Blessed be God. Praise the Lord might be a refrain that comes off of our lips. And that should be one that's not spoken in, in, in a shallow way. It should be one that carries this weight and this significance. Praise the Lord. Praise be to God. Blessed be God. And we see throughout Scripture that God is the one who is truly blessed. In Luke chapter 1 and verse 68, I'll turn there quickly and read it for you. But in Luke chapter 1 and verse 68, we read this. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. This is Zechariah being filled with the Holy Spirit and speaking these words, blessed be the Lord God of Israel. And he's speaking about God's work of redemption, God's promise that he would fulfill from the house of his servant David, Jesus would come along and redeem. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. Paul speaks in his second letter to the Corinthians right up at the beginning. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. This just comes out of Paul. Blessed be God. And Peter, in a similar way, in his first letter to the churches of Asia, he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. When we think about God, I want us to think about redemption. I want us to think about salvation. I want us to think about all we have to praise him for. As Seth mentioned last week, this is, this is Paul sitting in a, in a prison or in house arrest. And where is his mind going? What is he going to commit his time to? And this is what's coming out of Paul. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though that which surrounds me may not be ideal in prison or in house arrest, 
It may not be what, what I would want to be doing at this time. I would be rather out visiting churches, planting churches, doing the work of ministry there, boots on the ground, going to new places, pressing the gospel out further and further to the ends of the world. But God has me here, and blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Regardless of the immediate circumstances, regardless of what we're going through, God is to be praised. He is working things according to his plan, according to the counsel of his will, to the praise of his glory. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. All of this passage, and as we start to focus in on these different doctrines, should lead us to bring praise to God. To say along with Paul, to say along with the Ephesians who would have received this letter from him, blessed be God. Blessed be God, for he chose me. Blessed be God, for he predestined me to adoption. Blessed be God, because he redeemed me through Christ. Blessed be God, because he has given us an inheritance. Blessed be God, because he has sealed us with his Holy Spirit. Blessed be God. Paul recognizes that we can give praise to God, that we can speak blessedness, blessed be to God, because God has so richly blessed us. And notice what he says in the second part of verse 3. He has blessed us. In Christ, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Blessed be God. Praise be to God. We can give praise to God because he has blessed us. Now, I want you to recognize something as we read this in the ESV, some of the translations are different, but this word blessed or blessing is repeated. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. So we have this repetition of the word blessed or, or blessing. And I don't want any of us to fall victim to thinking that this is just a, a reciprocity of blessing. Uh, uh, God blessed us, and we bless him, and he blesses us, and it's like pedals on a bicycle that are just driving this thing around. That we can bless him because he has blessed us, and it goes back and forth. We give to him, so he gives to us. No, God is blessed. God is far above, high above. And when we say we bless God, it is nowhere near 
the way that God blesses us. God is the source of all blessing. God is the driving force behind all blessing. And so when we say we bless God, blessed be God, what we are doing is really just responding to him, to his blessing, to his blessedness. It's not this equal exchange. He alone is the truly blessed one. We just reflect back. God, you've been so good to us. Thank you. We give you praise. We bless you. We show appreciation for his blessing. It cannot be compared. The blessing we give to God cannot be compared with the blessing that he gives to us. So blessed be God because blessed are we. He has blessed us. And what are those things that God has blessed us with? Let me ask you, maybe in this last week, maybe you've, you've given answer to this question. Or maybe in the coming week, you'll have opportunity to give answer to this question or to finish this sentence. I'm thankful for, I give God thanks for, I, I praise God for, and what are those things that have rolled off of your tongue, have come from your lips? I give thanks to God for, or I give God praise for. What were the things for Paul? As he's writing this, that he's going to give God praise for. There are so many things that we could think of to give God praise for. Even Seth, in praying for the church body this morning, had so many reasons to give God thanks for each and every one of you and God's work in our lives together. But Paul dives into these great doctrines of the redemption of Christ. And that is what he praises God for. These great doctrines related to our redemption. Now, as we work through verses 3 through 14... For the next five weeks, I want to I place this before each of us as a church. Working through this passage, focusing each week on an area that God has blessed us. This week, that he's chosen us for holiness. Next week, that he's predestined us for adoption. So on and so forth. I want to ask you, I, I want to challenge you, I want to encourage you, maybe press you on, prod you along, that individually and corporately, we would draw special attention to each of these throughout our week, during that week that we learn about them. For example, this week, make the fact that God has blessed us by choosing us for holiness, your special focus 
Give it special attention during this week. Maybe as you think about scripture reading that you're going to do during this week, maybe you you formulate some of your scripture reading around that. As you think about your prayer, as you consider what you're going to journal around, as you think about things throughout the day, give special thought, special focus, a certain attention to this blessing. And let's make a deliberate effort over the next five weeks to do that each week with the blessing that we learn about, the way that God has blessed us. Maybe like me, you can relate. You get into ruts of thanksgiving where you're not lacking in giving thanks to God, but it gets a little repetitive, lacks a little bit of freshness. So over the next five weeks, we have five things that we can focus on giving God thanks for in praising him. Blessed be God for this. Can I invite each of you into that? over these next five weeks as we work through this and make that part of our our conversation together, our life together? How has God been showing you how blessed you are because of this doctrine, that doctrine over these next five weeks? And see how we grow together and can all raise up one voice together in saying, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And you think about that, maybe you hear that, blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the, in the heavenly places, and it sounds like the possibility of something good far off in some netherworld. Spiritual blessings, heavenly places, it sounds so distant, so removed. Do we really bless God for those things? Does that really have any bearing on life today? I can understand how you might read this and and think that, but let me tell you, you're wrong if that's what you think. It's so far out there, so far removed. Certainly, it can't have any bearing on my life today in where I stand and the issues I'm dealing with. You're wrong. Now, we are predisposed to desire blessing. In the day and age that we live in, we've been trained by experience, we've been trained by advertisements that we hear or that we see to desire material blessing. So we tend to think in those material things, in those those tangible things. And certain material blessings, they're needful, they're, they're necessary. But are they most satisfying? Cheesecake is good, really good. But does it ultimately satisfy? No. Bread might sustain us for a day. It's needful and it's necessary. But it can't satisfy internal needs. It can't satisfy eternal needs as spiritual blessings can 
Paul says that we are blessed with every spiritual blessing. Now, why are they spiritual blessings? First and foremost, I would say because they are brought to us by the Holy Spirit. They are spiritual blessings because God has brought them to us by means of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. He is called the Spirit of truth. He is called the Spirit of holiness, the Spirit of life, the Spirit of adoption, the Spirit of wisdom and revelation. Peter refers to him as the Spirit of glory. These are spiritual blessings because the Holy Spirit is at work administering these blessings to us. He's real. He's active. He's the third person of the Holy Trinity. And he works as an indispensable member of the Trinity, accomplishing the Father's will. They're also called spiritual blessings because they cannot be touched or handled like material blessings can be. Now, that's not to say they're not real and not to say that they are in any way inferior to material blessings. Think of it this way. I so appreciate the beauty and everything involved in a mountain morning. Now, what I mean by a mountain morning is, is unzipping a tent and peeking out. Maybe the sun has just come up, or maybe it's just beginning to come up. But everything associated with that, I, I love the colors, the sounds, the smells, the feelings, even if that's cold. Now, if I were to take a picture of that, or for some of you that actually have some artistic talent and you painted a picture of that, of that scene of the mountain morning, would that photograph, would that painting be the same as the experience of that mountain morning? Now, is the painting or the picture, is it superior because it can be handled? I can take this and, and I can put it up on my wall. I can hold it in my hand. So it must be better. It must be superior. No, wouldn't you agree that the opposite is, is true? Though a photograph or a painting can be beautiful, but being present there getting to see, getting to hear, getting to experience, even smelling, everything involved in that mountain morning. Even if we can't hold those things in our hands, even if we can't hang those things on our walls. In the same way, these spiritual blessings, God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing they have evident and undeniable proofs that they are real and that they are powerful. God has blessed us with every 
spiritual blessing. They're real. They're powerful. They impact our lives, even if we can't put them in our pockets, even if we can't take them into our mouths and eat them, even if we can't spend them at a store. These spiritual blessings are even better. And then Paul says that they are in heavenly places. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. This heavenly realm. This is the dwelling place of God. The heavenly realm. We have the sky, which is just directly above our heads. The birds and the airplanes fly in the sky. Then we have this universe. It's beyond our atmosphere. And as majestic as those may be, they are dull and they are dim and they are small in comparison to this heavenly place of which Paul speaks. Do you remember in 2 Corinthians 12 where Paul talks about the thorn in the flesh that he received? Do you remember the the reason for that thorn in the flesh? Because he had gone to a place, whether in the body or out of the body, one cannot tell, he says, but he saw things and he heard things. He calls this place paradise, this third heaven. And he says that he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. Can't even put these things into words. I can't repeat them. And because this revelation was so surpassingly great, those are Paul's words, the surpassing greatness of these revelations, these things that he saw and experienced in this third heaven, God gave him a thorn in the flesh to keep him humble so that he might not boast. My point is that this is a place of unsurpassed beauty and wonder. And God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That's where God has blessed us, in these heavenly places. These spiritual blessings belong here They exist, they dwell in these heavenly places. And Paul says, I was there. I saw and I heard and they were so surpassingly great that God gave me a thorn in the flesh to humble me. Now, if these spiritual blessings exist in that place, then they too are full of magnificence and beauty if they are part and parcel of the the heavenly places, they are wonderful. They are beautiful. And these spiritual blessings are real and they are powerful. So just what are they? I've said several times this morning already, you know this first spiritual blessing that we're looking at this morning is God's choosing of us. And this is verse four. 
Verse 4, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. I want to, as we've walked through verse 3, step by step, I want to walk through verse 4, step by step, in the same manner. Just looking and unfolding and, and diving down into what Paul is saying. We give God praise. Blessed be God because he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And here it is, even as he chose us in him. This is the blessing of being chosen by God. The blessing of being chosen by God. We are chosen by him. I don't know how Paul could state it any more clearly than he does in verse 4. He chose us. You. You who have put your faith in Christ, God chose you. Why? I'm looking at your faces this morning and I'm asking, why? I look in the mirror and I say, why? God chose us. This is wonderful. This is praiseworthy. Even before, verse 4 tells us, even before the foundation of the world, he chose us. Before any of us, we're in existence. Parents, even if your kids think you're old, you're not that old. You haven't been alive that long that it was before the foundation of the world. But way back when, before the foundation of the world, God knew you. God chose you. God called you by name. This is a wonderful teaching of Scripture. This is something that we come across throughout Scripture that God chooses and saves. Do you remember Abraham? It's an example that comes to mind. He was an idolater an Ur of the Chaldees, and God called him. God chose him. Said, Abram, I'm going to take you and I'm going to send you to a place that you don't even know about yet. Just start walking, Abram. And from you, I'm going to make a great nation. And out of you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And why? Why Abram? Why in Ur of the Chaldees, this idolater? It was God's choice. God chose him. And God called him by name. Before we had done any good, 
or any evil before the foundation of the world. It's not based on our performance. God didn't look down into the future and say, you know, I really think that Hannah's going to be outstanding. I want her on my team, so I'm going I'm to choose her. She's going to be really good. Or Katie, yeah, she's one that I need on my side. She's going to do a lot of good. And because of the good that she'll do, I'll pick her out. I'll call her by name. No. No. That's not the way that it worked. It's not based on our performance. Even before the foundation of the world. If it were based on performance... If it were based on God looking into the tunnel of history, looking forward and seeing those that would do some good, that would even maybe choose him, and so he would choose them, wouldn't there be reason to boast? I, I chose God, or I did good, and that's why he chose me. Paul in 1 Corinthians, as, as he's writing to the Corinthian church, he says that God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. It's because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Our boasting can only be in the Lord. Our under understanding of the human condition is such that Apart from God choosing us, we would never choose him or call out to him. We'll even see this in Ephesians chapter 2 as we continue working our way through this book. He talks about us being dead in trespasses and sins. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. The human condition, Romans 5 tells us that through Adam, death came in to the human race, and death spread to all, and it reigned over all, and it led to condemnation for all. And so that's the starting point. All dead, condemned, distant, and apart from God, this low human condition, so broken by sin that there is no ability to choose God 
but praise be to God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Do you see how this results in us giving praise to God? It's nothing that I've done. It's nothing that I can take credit for. All glory and honor and praise be to God. And so this should also encourage us, this doctrine. It should lift us in in hearts of praise to God, but it should also solidify us in our confidence because if it's God's choice and if it's God's doing, God doesn't fumble. If it were up to us, we would drop the ball. We would fail. We would make a mess. But God, who began a good work in you, will be faithful to bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. J.I. Packer, the great theologian, he says that of this doctrine, he says, like every truth about God, it involves mystery, it sometimes stirs controversy, but in scripture, it is a pastoral doctrine brought in to help Christians see how great is the grace that saves them and to move them to humility, confidence, joy, praise, faithfulness, and holiness in response. Do you hear that, church? It's a pastoral doctrine. That means it's not a sledgehammer. It's not something that we carry around, throw around, we start knocking walls down with it. No, this is something that when we understand, when we grab hold of, and I I understand, and we had this discussion as, as a team of elders as we were talking through this passage, there have been seasons of, of wrestling with this doctrine, of coming to terms and yielding to this doctrine, and it wasn't always easy. But in that wrestling, and in that realization, and that recognition that this is the work of God, and this is how it is presented in the word of God, it's comforting, it's confidence-giving, and it makes God big and it humbles us and it gives us more and more of a heart that others as well would see the glory of God and the grace of God in the face of Jesus Christ, that it would increase our pastoral concern, that this would be something that that our hearts burn with. Thank you, God, that you, you chose us. And I know that it's not just me and and you and a few others. There are others also. And we want to go and we want to make this good news known so that they might hear, that they might respond, that they too might be saved by this same powerful gospel. He chose us and he chose us in him. 
That is, we are chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. God knowing what a, what a, what a wreck we would be, mired in sin, so set against him. Romans talks about us being enemies of God even while we were enemies, that God reconciled us to him by the death of his son. How is it that God is able to reconcile us? How is it that God is able to be favorable toward us, choose us before the foundation of the world? Because he chose us in Christ. That God all along has had this plan to redeem, to call out a people by his name for his glory. And it would be achieved and it would be accomplished through the life, the death, and the resurrection of Christ. And so he sees us in Christ and he worked this out in Christ in eternity past. And he sees us as righteous in the righteousness of Christ. So he's able to choose us in Christ. Paul says it to his son in the faith, Timothy, this way in 2 Timothy 1.9, that it is God who has saved us and has called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, no, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. The great grace of God to choose us and to see us in Christ, that we are united with him. So we are chosen by him. He chose us before the foundation of the world. We are chosen in him, that is in Christ. And also we are chosen for him. And that's the last part of verse four, that we should be holy and blameless before him. God chose us for him, for his pleasure and for his glory. Do you know that you are chosen unto holiness and blamelessness? That's what God has called you to. Do you understand that? That's positional. That when God calls us, he sees us in Christ and we have that standing with God that we are holy and blameless. But this is also practical. Positional, but also practical in that we are to be living lives of holiness and blamelessness. Throughout Scripture, be holy, for I am holy. God speaks that to his people. Peter repeats that to the church. Be holy, for I am holy. We should be holy because God, who called us, is holy. This is, this is the positive aspect. If we think about holiness, the, the positive aspect, there is a life lived which is set apart and distinct from that which defiles and which chooses what is good. Holiness. 
And then blamelessness, that would be more of the negative aspect. That is that there is a lack of wrong. Holiness is the pursuit of righteousness. Blamelessness is the leaving away, the leaving off of anything which is wrong. There is nothing present which could bring blame. Now, let me say that prior to God's choosing of us, we could not choose holiness or blamelessness. We were free to choose whatever we wanted, but being depraved, we would only choose sin and misery. Romans 6, Paul tells us that we were united with Christ in his death and in his resurrection. So now we can present ourselves to God and we can carry out righteousness. And prior to that, he says, we were slaves to sin. We could choose whatever we wanted, but all we could ever choose And all we ever wanted, apart from God's intervening work in our life, was sin and further misery. But now God is at work in us. Now we can choose righteousness. We can choose holiness. We can choose blamelessness. We can live these lives that are holy, that are reflective of God which brings him glory. Praise be to God. This is the kind of life that we can live together, church. This is what we are called to, church, that we can conduct ourselves in such a way, little us, little you, little little me, that we can live in such a way that people would see what we do as a reflection of the great and mighty and awesome God, little me, I can live in holiness and blamelessness so that people see my good works, Jesus says in Matthew 5, and bring glory to my Father in heaven. I can do that. You can do, I can do that. You can do that. We have been called to that church. He has chosen us for holiness and for blamelessness. He has chosen us that we should live lives that reflect him in our thoughts, in our words, in our deeds, that in all aspects of life, on Sunday morning, on Monday morning, on Friday afternoon, in our homes, in our workplaces, in our schools, in our recreation, wherever we find ourselves, that we can live lives that bring glory to God. Praise be to God. As Paul thinks about this throughout Scripture, as he's writing these letters to these churches, you can see how this just bubbles up in Paul in giving praise and thanks to God. This is what he says to the Thessalonian church. We give thanks to God always for all of you, 
constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you. We know he has chosen you. Why? Because we see it being lived out, worked out. And what's the result? We give thanks to God always for you. He says in 2 Thessalonians, we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. It bubbles up, it wells up inside of Paul, and it comes out in expressions of praise to God and thanks to God. Now there's so much in these two verses to wrestle through this morning. And perhaps there there are new ideas to you that we've discussed. Maybe there are teachings that, that you've heard before. Maybe you're not settled upon them. I want to press upon, upon you this morning. Not to just take my word for it. That's not what I want to press upon you. But to go to God and his word. Like the Bereans who heard Paul teaching And they sought the scriptures to see if the things that he was teaching were so, if they were true. To put in the time, to give it the attention. Because I'm convinced that this is important. This is important. This this orients us in a certain way to God. And this orients us in a certain way to the world. And so holding a a right understanding that God has chosen us before the foundation of the world will impact the way that we relate to God and the way that we relate to the world. Don't put it off. Or maybe you say, I'm familiar with these and I'm settled in and I'm comfortable here. I want to press upon you as well. Put in time this week. Give attention to these things because as you do, as we do, what will result is greater praise to God. We can't touch upon these things. We can't study these things. We can't give focused attention to these things without saying praise God, praise be to God. And like Paul, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. They are to the praise of God's glorious grace. They are worthy of our attention and they will result in greater appreciation, greater gratitude, and will overflow in our thanksgiving to God. Let's pray. Father, we are a grateful people. We are grateful for your work in our lives and we recognize that your work is always good even when it is hard. Your work is good.
And we say, along with Paul and along with the Ephesian church, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord God, it's my prayer for Pillar Bible Fellowship that we would, in our community groups, in our homes, in our individual time with you, that we would be giving focused attention to these doctrines over these next five weeks, and that we would grow in our appreciation. Lord God, bring scripture to us that we would be convinced of these things. May we be able to go back, yes, and, and revisit the sermon, but even more so to continue on further in study of your word and find these things for ourselves. Holy Spirit, lead and direct us in our study during this time that we would be fully convinced and persuaded by your word, which is true, and it is the standard of truth. And Father, may we be a church so overcome, so overwhelmed by your grace to us that out of us comes praise to you. Not just when we gather on Sunday mornings and the music team is leading us, but when we're in our workplaces, when we're in our homes, when we're with our neighbors or friends, in all times, at all places, that our orientation would be such that we know we are in fellowship with you and we can recognize and quickly identify your grace toward us and that knee-jerk reaction would be to give praise to you. And so, Father, over the course of these coming weeks, as we are working through this paragraph specifically, grow us in praise of you, that we would make a greater impact in this world, that we would be known as a church that brings praise to you, that gives blessing to you, that it would overflow from us, that it would impact the lives of those around us, that it would all be to the praise of your glorious grace, that you would be glorified in this church. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Pillar Bible Fellowship. Please email any comments or questions about the sermon to feedback at pillarhoodriver.org.